really nice teaching in it. Some really nice ways of thinking about God the Ancient of Days. Kind of spreads our minds a little bit. Anyway, this is, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we have so many visitors with us this morning because this is the final part of a series that we've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' foundational teaching. So, if you're a guest and a visitor, I have to say to you that you've, you've missed a fair bit. And you are quite welcome to uh, travel back in our YouTube feed and to find the messages from the rest of this series. And um, they've been, well, pretty good, I reckon. <laughs> Even if I do say so myself. All right. I love the story of the early European settlers in, uh, in New South Wales, or in Sydney in particular, and all the times where they tried to trek across the Blue Mountains. You guys, if you've grown up in, in New South Wales school system, you've probably heard this story, but for those of you who are joining us online, you're going to get it here. All right. Because the explorers were pretty clueless, and I find that amusing. They tried to go up one valley after another and they couldn't find a pass through the mountains. They were stuck, they couldn't cross the Great Dividing Range. You see, in Europe, my dad's here, so this is a bit of geography, Dad, you'll love this. In Europe, mountain ranges are made up of lots of individual mountains. So that if you're trying to cross a mountain range, the best way to go is go up the valleys and try and sneak your way past all the mountains, right? because there are all sorts of individual mountains. But in the Blue Mountains, it's different. The Blue Mountains is one giant plateau, which has been eroded by water, which means that there is no way through if you walk up the valleys. They end up in giant rock walls, which you've probably seen. And it's a similar, similar process, if you like, to the Grand Canyon in the United States. Giant plateau worn out by water. Now, Eventually, Blacksland, Lawson and Wentworth figured out that they could turn conventional wisdom on its head and they could figure out a way across the mountain by walking up the ridges, by avoiding the valleys and eventually, of course, they figured it out. Today, Jesus explains in the text that we have for us today, oh, if you'd like to, it's Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 and we're beginning at verse 5, so if you want to scroll that up flip across to that. Jesus explains here that unless you pray in the way that He demonstrates, unless you develop a spirituality, an alternate spirituality based on the Kingdom of God, you will end up at a dead end, exhausted, frustrated and lost. To help explain, He shows us two of the most common dead-end valleys that people interested in spiritual matters and spirituality, two dead-end valleys that they often wander up. Two wrong ways before He gives a right way. Two wrongs and a right. So, Matthew chapter 6, beginning, beginning at verse 5. This is the first valley that He describes and I call it Hypocrite Valley. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay. Praying in synagogues or churches and on street corners. 
I don't know what you think about when you think about people up on the street corners praying like that. I, I sometimes think we think of, you know, crazy people with, um, what are those board things called? Sandwich boards and uh, megaphones. People protesting and things like that. But we gotta just want to understand that for Jesus and in Jesus' time, what He means when He says, on the street corner, is He means any kind of public gathering. The street corner was the place where people would gather, kind of like the cafes or the, the marketplaces. These were the common meeting places. So when Jesus talks about this, He's talking about public gatherings. And that's not that unusual for us here in the Salvation Army, is it? Or those of you above a certain age may remember open-air services. Anybody willing to put up your hand, and you can put up your hand, it's not, it's COVID safe. Uh, remember being in an open-air service. Well, look at that, look at that, yeah. Some of you put your hands up with a bit of a grimace, we'll talk about that a bit after. When I was a kid, I remember participating in open-air services. You know, we'd go up and conduct a church service on the street corner, uh, in, in, in our case, uh, where I grew up, it was usually in the afternoon, and the band would march back from wherever the open-air service was held, back to the, to the church, or the, the hall, where the meeting was going to be held that night, the indoor meeting. The idea was that people would be so engaged in what was sung, played, prayed and spoken, that they would follow the band back to the hall to hear more, right? That was the plan, right? Did anyone ever see that happening? Since the 1970s? Yes, there are a few yeses there, some great stories I wish I could hear. We'll talk to after. But as a junior soldier in the Salvation Army, I don't know what anyone else had this kind of experience, I was occasionally asked to lead one of the prayers. It was one of the tasks assigned to a junior soldier, and I would get a sticker for it. And I, and I was also in, in Sagala, which was like scouts, and I'd get a badge for praying on a, and, and participating in a service. Anyone else do that? Yeah? Yeah, come on, you've got to remember these things. Well, I, I, I had to do it, and I was, I was young, and um, I wrote my prayer down, I rehearsed it, I edited it, actually, truth be told, I think my parents might have written a lot of it. Any parent understand that? Yeah, all right. I rehearsed it, I tried to remember it, so I wrote it on flashcards, I'm not really good at memorizing anything. Do you remember flashcards? Anyone remember flashcards? That's what we used before we had phones? One of the things we used to use before phones. And Sunday would roll around, and, I, and, and it was my turn, we walked up to the, it was my turn to pray, and I was proud as punch, I spoke clearly, I spoke cleanly, I got all my words out in the right order, and I said, Amen, at the end. <laughs> Who gave me that clap? I owe you, that's great. Anyone had that experience, right? People whispered to me after I'd finished how good a job I'd done. Well, was a good idea to encourage the kids, isn't it? It was brilliant, I felt great. But looking back at those times, I realised it wasn't actually a prayer. I spent the whole time thinking about what people would think of my words, how clever they were and stuff. 
I didn't think about God at all. So it wasn't so much a prayer as a performance. I know a lot of people who grow up in church can relate to the similar experience, right? Similar times when you've performed your religious duties rather than practicing a spirituality. It's a trap and it's a dead-end valley that Jesus warns us about. But everyone who grows up in a culture of faith, church or whatever, is generally taught to participate as a young kid. Anyone remember these things, right? We, we teach our kids how to do what we do. And even if we don't teach them deliberately, they learn from us by example. We'll be trained to pray or to lead a song or... You know, in some traditions, they're taught to be altar boys and other, other functions and things around the church and whatever. And like most kids, they all try to perform well, and that's good. I'm not saying it's not good, it's important. But the problem is that sometimes people grow up, and having learned how to perform within their church culture, within their family culture, they continue to practice their religion to fit into the same social society that they grew up in. They, they continue to perform out of a sense of nostalgia or a sense of connection to tradition, a sense of belonging to, to group or, or that's what my family does. But they don't actually develop an inner prayer life. They don't actually have much of an inner spirituality. And the tragedy is, for a lot of young adults and young people, they decide that they'll go and search for a new form of spirituality. They'll search for spirituality because they think, we've tried Christianity and it doesn't work, when in actual fact, they haven't tried it at all. Jesus says, this is like the hypocrites hypocrite valley. Now, hypocrites is an interesting word, and I just want to explain what hypocrites means. It's a Greek word that we've, you know, knit in English, and we like it, so we use it. But the hypocrites were actually the actors in Greek theatre. And they would play many different roles. The one person would play lots of different roles, and the way to distinguish between the different characters that they played was simply to change the painted masks that they would wear. And the first false valley that Jesus says to avoid is to avoid the hypocrite valley, to avoid the valley of putting on the mask and performing for the audience of family, church, or the public. Prayer is not prayer at all, says Jesus, if it's a performance. So if you are in public and you are praying, make sure you're praying, not performing. If you're opening parliament in prayer, I know plenty of you have probably done that. If you're asked to pray in church, if you pray in a meeting, if you're saying grace in a restaurant, whatever it is, be fair dinkum. Don't fake it. Pray like you would if, if there was no audience, no family, no church, no one but God. That's how we are encouraged to pray because if we don't we end up in hypocrite valley and it'll be an exhausting dead end are you in hypocrite valley 
Sometimes people think it's easy to spot a hypocrite, don't they? You know, someone who's a preacher and is caught out in an affair, someone who's, who's a Christian and is caught nicking from, nicking from the till at work, someone who's a, a youth leader and, and comes across as quite aggressive and vengeful. You know, they all look like hypocrites. But the reality is, in Jesus' words right here, hypocrite is none of those things. A hypocrite here in Jesus' teaching is someone who does not have a true inner prayer life. Someone who, if they find themselves in a closet, cupboard, walk-in wardrobe, whatever, to pray, they have nothing. Nothing to say, no passion for conversation, no connection with God. Someone whose spirituality is based on religious performance rather than genuine relationship. Avoid the hypocrite valley. The second valley that Jesus warns about is babbling valley. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Like a babbling little book. Very nice. But here's what he says. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, fun facts with Phil. For the Bible-loving trivia people out there, there's an interesting, interesting thing about this verse, is the word babbling here that Jesus uses is not found anywhere else in the Bible. It's a Greek word that's not found anywhere else in any Greek literature that we have. It turns out that not only can God create the world, He can create words. Isn't that interesting? That's cool, right? I think it's good. Anyway, whatever. It, this, um, the text is somewhat confusing though, isn't it? Those of you who've been around church a long time will know that Jesus teaches in other places to pray with persistence, to pray unceasingly, to pray continually. But here He says, don't keep babbling. What is the wrong road? What is the valley that Jesus is trying to get us to avoid? Let me give you a bit of a paraphrase. Don't pray with an intense, frantic torrent of words like those who are unbelievers, immoral and unreligious. They think they'll be heard because of all their words. And I added there, they won't. Just in case that wasn't clear. How many of you know kids are masters at this? How many of you have kids or been a kid? I'd ask for a show of hands, but I'd be surprised if we didn't get any... I'd be a bit worried. All right, how many of you, uh, you know, they, oh, Daddy, please, 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 can we have a unicorn? Whatever, like, please, we'll take good care of it, Daddy, please, please, please. Kids seem to think, right, that we parents can be worn down by a torrent of words and we'll grant their request for a unicorn or whatever just to make them stop. Actually, full confession, we don't have a unicorn, but we've probably got a lot of other stuff at our house that I just got to stop the kids asking for it. Anyone else? <laughs> My parents are here, they could probably tell you the same story. God cannot be coerced or controlled in this way. 
How often do we fall into the trap of babbling, of thinking that if only we could get God to do what we want? If only we could get the right technique or the right spiritual discipline or we could pray the right prayer or we could do this or that or whatever, God would do what we want. That's finding ourselves wandering up the valley of the babbling. Participating in some religious practice or spiritual technique to get the answers, the peace, the tranquility or whatever it is we want. Jesus is saying God is not a light switch. God doesn't respond just because we throw words at Him. Getting what we want out of life is not going to happen just because we find the right spiritual technique. So avoid hypocrite valley, avoid babbling valley, because both will end up in pointless frustrating stone walls. So instead, Jesus says, the words that we read right at the beginning of our meeting, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, in July 2018, we spent five weeks examining this prayer, its impact and its implications for our lives. The series was called Praying with Power and it focused on these four verses. And I encourage you to go back in the Wollongong Salvo's YouTube feed and revisit those messages because there's so much more to these four verses then I will cover in the next few minutes. So today, just I want to talk about the approach taken to God, the relationship described by this prayer and the spirituality that it demonstrates in the hope that we might practice it and emulate it better in our lives. So let's look first at friendship. Friendship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first foundation of Christian spirituality is friendship. The first half of the Lord's Prayer actually has nothing to do with my needs, nothing to do with daily bread, nothing to do with my guilt, nothing to do with my anger towards people, nothing to do with the strength that I need to face the challenges I have to face, nothing like that at all. What is it doing in this first half of the prayer? It's simply enjoying, noticing, celebrating and being amazed by God. Before we ask for anything, before we do any of that, we spend time reveling in the relationship we have with God. It is relational, it is a friendship. You know, I could come into the office on Monday morning, so we have a a team of people who work with us in the office on a Monday morning, and I could start barking questions at people straight off. Right, Caitlin, have you done that database thing? Bruce, have we reconciled that account? Amy, have we finished compiling that email? Rebecca, actually, no, I'd never do that to Rebecca, I'd get in trouble, but... (laughs) People are not robots. I figured this out, took me a while. We are relational beings, and it's out of relationship that we have an office that works truly as a team, and as a joyful place to be. Although, again, full confession, sometimes I do get into the office 
And sometimes something's been playing in my mind all night. And so the first thing I say to people is, oh, have we thought about that? Or have we done that? And then someone will say, good morning, Phil. And I'll say, yeah, okay, all right, okay, backtrack a little bit. Remember that this is about relationship. And if that's true with a team of people in an office, how much more is important that we understand that we are in conversation with God of the universe, not a robot or a vending machine? Jesus' example of spirituality is one based on friendship, relationship with the Creator. So the first question for us to consider today is, do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a genuine prayer life? Do you have a friendship? Do you actually sit and pray? Or do you just come to church and pray here? Do you only say grace when there are others at the table? I don't, do you say grace at all? Or do you only pray in meetings, other public gatherings and and that sort of stuff? Do you only pray at life groups? Or do you have a spirituality that is based on an ongoing friendship with God? That's the first question to consider. The second aspect of spirituality is the Lordship of God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Before we get to daily bread, before we get to forgiveness, before we get to telling God whatever we want, whatever we need, before we unleash that torrent, we need to truly pray, Thy kingdom come. We need to take ourselves out of that place of God. So often we get worried and afraid because we think we know how things should go. We think we know how things should be. We think we know what God should do. We think we know better than God. Our our guilt, our worry, our desires, our fears and all of these sort of things, they, they cause us to babble like pagans sometimes, like people who don't actually think God is God. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes our guilt and our worry, our desires and our fears cause us to babble like people who don't even think God is God. To what extent do we know and acknowledge the Lordship of God? This sometimes comes out in really interesting ways. Uh, A lot of years ago, um, we were leading a morning meeting and we were talking about this kind of thing. We were talking about the fact that we need to let go sometimes and let God be God. And someone came up to me after the meeting and they said, I have real trouble with this. Now, this person was an alcoholic, they still are, and they'd done some pretty awful things in life. They'd hurt a lot of people, they'd landed in prison, and now they were in rehab. And he had real trouble believing that God would forgive him, that God wanted to be his friend. Real trouble that God would, real, real trouble in believing that God would offer him his grace. He, see, see, he knew what should happen to him. He knew what should happen to people who did things like he did. He knew that he should be condemned and imprisoned and whatever else. He, he knew and was quite, quite resigned to the fact that he was going to go to hell. But the one morning, We talked about letting go and letting God, about God being God and us not. He suddenly discovered something. He discovered and and said, I've been incredibly arrogant. Isn't that interesting? Incredibly arrogant. He'd taken the place of God in assuming that He knew 
what God should do towards him. He said he knew what God, how God should act. Didn't matter what God said, didn't matter what God did. He was arrogant in his belief that he was right and God was wrong. That morning, he learned to let go and let God be God. To let God forgive him and guide him. And at the heart of true Christian spirituality is the friendship and the lordship of God. So what about you? Are you capable of letting God contradict you? Are you in a position where you would allow God to correct you? Are you humble enough to allow God to forgive you, support you and guide you? See, Hypocrite Valley leads you away from friendship with God. Babbling Valley leads you away from the Lordship of God. So the challenge this week as we finish up is to pursue spirituality, to pursue real prayer in everything you get involved in, personal stuff, school stuff, work stuff, community stuff, church stuff, whatever stuff it is you're involved in, pray. Seek friendship, recognize Lordship. And in addition, I want to ask you to set aside 15 minutes this afternoon. 15 minutes to pray, to go into a closet, whatever that means. To, to, to go to a place where you're away from anybody and everybody who might see you. So that you're not in any way doing something for a performance. And then close your eyes and imagine Jesus with you. Maybe you uh, get him a coffee, because he drinks coffee, not tea. Because he's divine. Maybe you get him a Coke. Maybe whatever. And you sit for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Now, it's probably going to be an awkward thing to think about, right? Because you don't know what to say. What would you say? God is God, after all. Creator, ruler, sustainer, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the one who sacrificed himself for humanity, for you. I mean, what do you say? Well, you don't have to say anything. Mother Teresa once was asked what she, what she does in prayer. And the, the reporter said, what do, you, what, do you talk, what do you say to God when you pray? And she says, well, I don't say anything, I listen. And he says, oh, that's interesting. What, is, what does God say to you then? She said, oh, he doesn't say anything, he just listens. And if you can't understand that, I can't help you. It's something you just have to experience. It's something you just have to try. And so I challenge you this afternoon to spend 15 minutes in that kind of space in your mind and in prayer. Will you do it? Yes, well, that's one, that's good. I'm half deaf, right? So does it, if you don't know that, I'm deaf in this ear. So if I ask you a question, you've got to be louder. Okay, are you going to do it? Oh, good. That's good. All right. Well, would you like to stand with me? We're going to pray a prayer, a final prayer today with, with, before we, we're going to sing a song, right? Of course. And so stand with me. And I want to read a prayer that's a, a paraphrase, if you like, of that prayer um, written by Tommy and Eddie from the Skit Guys, who I love very much. And I wonder if you'd like to bow your heads and consider your friendship with God 
and consider the Lordship of God and consider these words as we pray. God, you are greater than anything this world has to offer and I can't wait for you to come back and get us. But until that time comes, would you just help me to live my life day after day as if I'm walking hand in hand with you? God, I have a lot of needs, I have a lot of wants and sometimes I get those things confused. Help me to just trust you to meet my needs and be thankful when you give me those other things that I just want. God, I've blown it so many times today and I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't take it for granted. And God, as I start this day out, I'm just reminded that this world is filled with so many spiritual potholes. Please help me to walk in such a way where I won't stumble so much. And as I'm going through this day, God, help me to live my life in such a way that will bring you glory and honour. May the life that I live be a life of worship to you. Amen and amen. God bless.